And let's give a big warm welcome to Mr. Kevin Byrne. Woo woo woo! How are you, Kevin? Watch your head. I know you're a big guy. Indeed. Excellent. Thanks so much for being here. Pleasure. Um, I was just saying to the guys, you just told me that you got rescued by a helicopter and then swam with sharks. A true entrepreneur. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, probably about seven or eight weeks ago, a friend of mine who's an explorer yeah. uh, contacted me. And I just said, I'm bored. And he, he says, Kev, I've just got the thing for you. We're going to trek up the Himalayas. We're going to go to 7,500 feet. It's going to be the highest altitude world record attempt of a bike ride. Uh, so at base camp, you've got to put your bike on your back and trek up. Um, and we got to 4,800 meters, and the uh, heavens opened. Uh, and there was avalanches, and there was landslides, and there was, yeah, it was a bit hairy. Uh, and uh, we got helicoptered off. <laughs> so we didn't, we didn't end up doing the, uh, the world record, but uh, there's always next year. I love yeah. that, ringing your friend and saying, I got a bit bored, and he's like, straight away, let's go to the Himalayas. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. So um, you got rescued by the helicopter. That wasn't enough for an adrenaline buzz. So then what did you go and do? Oh, we chase sharks. <laughs> yeah. No, any scuba divers here? Must be some. So it sounds dramatic, doesn't it, go swimming with sharks? But if you're a scuba diver, you know it's not that dramatic. Sharks, sharks are pretty uh, shy. Uh, if you chase after one, they'll swim away. Uh, but yeah, we've got some phenomenal footage of swimming with about 25 hammerheads. Just Amazing. absolutely incredible. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So do you keep yourself to optimum fitness then, that you can literally just jump on a plane, put a bike on your back? and? Well, I've got a couple of gymnasiums. Yep. Uh, I really like working out. Um, so uh, I, my fitness levels are always pretty good. Um, I do triathlons now. Nice. Um, I was set to do uh, a full Ironman in 2020, but unfortunately that didn't happen. Uh, so I was at my, you know, peak just before mm -hmm. that point, really. Nice. But, uh, Do you mind me asking how old you are? I'm 58. 58. Let's give him a round of applause. You can outwork many 20-year-olds, I think, right now. Yeah, fantastic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Awesome. Good stuff. Okay, um, Kevin. So let's get stuck into um, uh, some of the business stuff. So we've got a great group of people here. This is the Millionaire Mastermind. So, and we have 50 businesses in the room and everybody's joined this program because they've all got a business and they want to learn how to not just build a business, but how to um, take that money and take that business and, and create wealth. So I'd really like to start exploring that. But if I can come back to the beginning um, of, you know, your, you founded Checker Trade, you sold Checker Trade for nearly 80 million, huge sum. And um, do you want to tell us how that, how that business idea came to fruition yeah. and why you chose to um, go with the recurring revenue model rather than a one-off um, payment, if that's how it started or you evolved sure. the business model to that point? Yeah. Sometimes you just fall into something, don't you? And it's not by plan. And certainly when uh, a tornado went through my hometown, which is Selsey Bill in West Sussex, um, that tornado caused 10 million pounds worth of damage. Uh, and uh, there was tradesmen flooding from all over the UK in white vans. And people that were victims of the weather were now being victims of rogue trades. My dad was a policeman in the RAF for many years. 
Uh, and then he, when he retired from that, he was a trading standards officer. So I grew up with that kind of feel anyway. But um, I, 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 I saw so many local people being ripped off and I thought, well, surely someone could do something. Did I have a millionaire mindset at that point? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I was bouncing along the bottom of life. If you were to take my business card out and read it, it, it would have said, Kev, you know, pretty, pretty much as hopeless at everything that he does. Works hard, got good intentions, but really, really did not have any business acumen or ambition at all, apart from if I could take my family on holiday once a year, wouldn't that be amazing? That was where I was. Um, so, uh, you know, we all start from different places in life, don't we? But, but certainly for me, I, I started right at the bottom. Um, I started Checker Trade with zero money, with zero business skills, zero acumen, nothing. And no one ever gave me a penny. Um, so we all start from different places. That's where I started. So wherever you are, I'm sure most of you are a lot further along that journey than, 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 than where I was. Um, but uh, I bounced along the bottom of life for a long time with Checker Trade. In fact, Checker Trade didn't start as Checker Trade. It started as the phone box. That was the first name. That never actually happened. Then I changed it to Scout. And then the Scout Association got barristers onto me saying, you're, you're, you're uh, using our brand. I'm oh, not using your brand. Anyway, I changed it to Scout It Out. Um, and they still had barristers on me. Uh, so I changed it to the trade register. So how many names is that in the, in the, in the space of the first sort of two years? It's incredible. Um, and, uh, and then I got a knock on the door from Trading Standards saying, you can't use the word register unless your home office approved. Oh, great. And, uh, and at that point, I came up with the idea of doing online reviews. And if you've got an idea like that, where do you go? Well, you go to Google or whatever to see what else is out there to copy it, don't you? And there wasn't anything. So uh, if I have a claim to fame, uh, and I'll stop saying it if anyone proves me wrong, um, I was the first in the world to do online reviews. Uh, and we got the Queen's Award for that, which was fantastic. But um, even at that point, I'm still bouncing along the bottom of life. I'm not really achieving anything. I know I've got a good idea. I know that I've got a, a little bit more ambition than what I had before, but I had no idea on how to take this idea that I've got and expand it. No idea whatsoever. <clears throat> and, and from that day to this day, no one's ever told me how to do it. It's like you just learn as you go along. Uh, but there was a really, really big turning point in my life. Um, Checker Trade at that point, you know, the first four years was lots of different names. Checker Trade had probably been going about seven years. And I was employing probably three or four people, that's all. And I'm still bouncing along the bottom of life. Um, a friend of mine, uh, his name's Kev as well, but he's about five foot two, one of my best mates. And he came up to me and he said, Kev, can I speak into your life? I thought, oh, no, here we go. And uh, I said, yeah, yeah, speak into my life, Kev, fire away. He says, Kev, you're miserable. Your wife's miserable. <laughs> Your kids are miserable. <laughs> you need to give up this flogging a dead horse and get a proper job. And that was a real kick up my backside. Um, and that made me think really, really deeply about what I was doing because he was right. 
He was right. I, I was, it, it wasn't going anywhere. Um, but I knew there was something there. I knew in my heart that if you want to be successful, solve a problem. That's the, that's, that's the key. And the bigger the problem you solve, the, the more success you'll have around your life, financial success at least. And I, and I knew there was a huge problem, and I knew I had an answer to it, and yet there was something stopping me. Anyway, coinciding with that kick up the backside, um, a good friend of mine gave me a set of CDs, and they were by a guy called Bob Harrison, an American guy, uh, called Dr. Increase is his name. And uh, it was called a, a very typical American uh, uh, name, name to a series of CDs. It was called Awakening the Great Multitude Mind. You know, typical American, isn't it? Anyway, um, I whacked these CDs in and it changed my life. Absolutely changed my life. For the first time, I'd heard that you'll never achieve anything that in your subconscious you don't really believe you're going to achieve. Oh, that's interesting. Do I have a subconscious? Absolutely. The vast majority of all of our decisions are made by our subconscious. I'll give you an illustration. If, if you've got a headache, what do you do? Take a paracetamol. Don't even think about it, do you? Um, anyway, I started to learn that I had a subconscious, and I started to learn that, that the vast majority of all of my decisions were being made from my subconscious, which had been programmed and dictated to me via my upbringing. And most of them are the same. Most of us have a similar upbringing to a degree. We're all told, you'll never achieve it. You're not as pretty as your sister. You know, who are you to think you, you could do this? Um, and my, my, my dad was a very, very proud guy. And I, and I can remember once with my, my elder brother, my elder brother wanted to do a bay-to-bay -bay swim. And I can remember my dad saying to him, son, don't do this. If you, if you fail, what's that going to make you feel like? I did think, wow. Yeah, we're, we're, we're all programmed, aren't we? We're all programmed in our upbringings, in our brothers and sisters and our peers and the people that are around us to say, you can only jump so high. And that's where I was for sure. And I, I, I started to understand that the limits of how high I can jump was purely in here, purely in my brain. There was nothing else stopping me. And one of the great things about being an entrepreneur, and this, this, this app absolutely fits me fantastically, is that you don't need any qualifications. You don't need any education. <laughs> if you're an entrepreneur, no one says to you, let me see your qualifications, <laughs> uh, which is great, because I've got nothing. Um, so uh, it, yeah, I, I, it, it took me six months to start to reprogram my brain, just to start. And so you care, well, how, how did you reprogram your brain and how did that work? Well, I learned that you move towards the most dominant image you allow to reside in front of you. You move towards the most dominant image you allow to reside in front of you. I'll give you an illustration. You know, I've, I've got a Christian background and many years ago we were in Serbia not, not Serbia, uh, Crimea. Um, can't go there now, of course. And uh, we were visiting various churches and, uh, and stuff. And we, we came across this young lad, uh, probably in his late teens, early 20s, quite short, really stocky, really strong. And we went into his apartment. 
which probably was about half, almost as big as this stage, that's all, uh, his apartment. And on every wall, every wall, he had pictures of powerlifters. And I'm saying, well, pictures of powerlifters on there. And he says, ah, that's a world I will be a world champion one day. And he had them on the ceiling, he had them inside his cupboards, he had them everywhere around. And uh, I said, okay. Uh, we learned two years later, he got some world records. He moved towards the dominant image that he allowed to reside. He woke up in the morning and he'd go, I'm going to be a, a world champion like this guy. Uh, and, it, and it starts to reprogram your name. Uh, sorry, your brain. And what I learned through these CDs was, was uh, lots of things, but I'll try and bring some key, key stuff out. The first thing that I, I can remember reading or listening to was uh, Bob Harrison said, only one or two in a hundred will do what I suggest, but those one or two will create more wealth than all the, all the other 98 and 99 put together. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I wouldn't mind earning a hundred times what a normal person earns. That sounds pretty cool. I'm going to do this. So he, he says, right, what you've got to start doing is get, get images. So I thought, well, okay, how do I get, what kind of image do I need? Well, I, I've got to take Checker Trade National. And he said, but you won't believe it at first. Okay, I won't believe it at first, but over a period of time, I'll start to believe it. Okay, yeah, I've got that now. So I went out and I got, I got some A, A1 maps of the UK, and I put him on that wall at the shed in the bottom of my garden, <laughs> and that wall in the shed at the bottom of my garden, because that's where I was, and on that wall and on that wall. And I'd go into my shed each morning, and I'd go, I'm going to be national. I'm going to be national. I didn't believe it for a minute. Didn't believe it for a minute. But hey, he told me I wouldn't believe it but I'm going to do it. I'm going to be national. I'm going to be Write stuff down, Kev. What is it you think that you can't achieve? Well, I'm, I'll never achieve a million pound turnover a year. That just won't happen. All right, I'll start writing it down. One million pound turnover. One million pound turnover. One million pound turnover. And just didn't believe it, but kept persevering. And I'm keeping uh, listening to motivational tapes. I'm really listening now intently on how can I change my mindset. And there's two ways you can change your mindset. The first one is through uh, an emotional implantation. Very, very quick example. You've led a healthy life all your life. Now you're diagnosed with cancer. That's an emotional implantation. You will change your lifestyle instantly. That doesn't tend to happen in business, those types of events. So the only, only way that you can change the way you think is by repetition. Repetition. What are you allowing yourself to see? What are you allowing yourself to hear? Who are you associating yourselves with? And that, that, was, that was a tough one, that was. We all know the phrase, birds of a feather flock together, don't we? But do we know the second part of that? The second part is, and they all fly to the same destination. And so you, you, you've got to think, well, okay, who am, I, who am I associating myself with? Who am I flying with? Because whoever I am flying with, that's where I'm going. And I had to come to the conclusion that, man, I've, 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 I didn't ditch any of my friends. I've still got all my old friends. But I've got to start making some new associations. 
I've got to start rubbing shoulders with people that are going places. I've got to. How and how can I do that? And that's and that's quite that's quite quite difficult. So I started to join networking groups and trying to find who are the most successful people in these networking groups. Who are the ones that have got the biggest businesses? And how can I rub alongside these people? Can I go? Can, I, can, I go, can we go and have dinner, mate? You know, and then try and rub alongside. You know, there's another phrase out there: iron sharpens iron. I don't know whether you've heard that one. You know, wood does not sharpen iron. Iron sharpens iron. So who are you rubbing alongside? Who are you associating yourselves with? Who are you trying to glean stuff from? You know, the fact that you're here is, it means you are so much further along the journey than I was when I first went into business or even after 10 years. You're already associating yourself with, with people that are successful. You're already associating yourself and rubbing alongside people that are going to influence you in a really, really positive way. So my journey was, I'm saying, I'm going to be national. Not believing it at all, but over a small period of time, you know, a month or so, and constantly emerging myself in really, really positive tapes. Uh, and, and videos and try and, and, and just, you know, if, if there was something I thought, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not going to entertain that because it's not positive. You know, it's like a buffet of food. You know, you can choose what you want to listen to and what you want to see. And I, and I, and I was really, really focused. You know, my, my children grew up with this and, and they could recite the tapes word for word after about six months of all the videotapes I was putting on. And I think one of the mistakes some people make is they'll just go from book to book to book to book. Oh, that was a good book. There's the next one. I've never done that. If I got hold of a piece of literature that I, I, I read or listened to, it was like, wow, that was fantastic. I'll listen to it again. Wow, I picked up some more. out. Wow, I'll listen to it again. Wow, I'll listen to it again. I've, I've listened to the same CTs, um, CDs a dozen, two dozen times. And just each time, just glean a little bit more and glean a little, a little bit more. Um, over a period of time, you start to think, well, oh, hold on, if, if I'm going to be national, hold on, I never thought that before. Well, if I'm going to be national, what do I need to do? I need to be on the radio. And then all, all, automatically your, your actions and your behaviours start to change. But, but I'm the same person that I was six months ago, but now I'm thinking that I've got to be on the radio. Where's that come from? It, it, it's from that repetition of setting yourself a site which is not achievable, but it is achievable, and you slowly <laughs> but surely change your mindset. Um, I'll give you, an, I'll give you a, 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 a really good I I I illustration. I had a 10-inch frying pan brain. And uh, I love fishing. Imagine there's two guys fishing off this boat. The usual thing is, get a big fish, put it in your basket, take home for dinner, don't you? If you catch a little fish, you throw it back in. Uh, so there's one guy catching big fish, putting it in his basket, take home. The other guy is catching the big fish and he's throwing them back in the sea. Why are you doing that? Anyway, every time he catches a fish, you've got a tape measure out. If it was smaller than 10 inches, he'd put it in his basket. Anyway, you can't handle this. You know this guy's doing it right, but you have to go up to this guy and say, look, 
why are you measuring the fish and why are you keeping the small ones? Oh, it's easy. The biggest frying pan I have at home is 10 inches. So you think, well, what, how, how does that relate to you? How did, how did that relate to me? It related to me absolutely perfectly because I never believed that I could achieve anything more than 10 inches. So when the opportunities or the thoughts came to me of anything bigger than 10 inches, I'd throw it back in the sea. And we all, sorry, I'm assuming, most of us, I would imagine at some point in our lives, we've, we've looked at the sits back pages and we're looking for a job, even though you're all in business now, you probably all weren't at one stage, and you would have had an idea in your head on what you were worth. And that worth might have been 30 grand. So you're looking through the sits back, 25, I can do better than that. Oh, 32, that would be great if I could get a job for 32, circle it. You know, 28, yeah, I'll circle that one. 65,000, you throw it back in the sea because it's too big. Yeah? We all been there? And I, that's where I was. And you've got to change the way you think. You've got to change the way you think. And the only way you can do that is through what you allow to go through your eyes and what you allow to go into your ears. And it's confessing it out of your mouth. And slowly but shortly. So I'm thinking now, I've got to be on the radio, but I've got no money. How do I get on the radio? Well, if I'm going to get on the radio and I've got no money, oh, I'll tell you what I have got. I've got these directories. And if I go to my local radio station and say, look, um, I'll give you the back page if you give me a couple of grand's worth of radio for free. And Spirit FM, my local one to where I started the company, they went, yeah, we'll do that, Kev. Wow, I'm on the radio. <laughs> it didn't cost me anything. I'll go and do that to the next radio. I know this is supposed to be an interview, isn't it? <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go along to the next radio station. I can't remember what it was called now, but it was in uh, uh, Worthing. And what they said was, well, if you give us 500 quid, we'll give you two and a half grand if you give us the back page for that particular directory. So now I'm on the radio station in Worthing. Oh, that was cool. And then I'm, I'm thinking, I'm still pretty much bouncing along the bottom, but I'm getting there now. I'm starting to change a little bit of my mindset. And I'm thinking, wouldn't it be great if I could get Tesco's on the front of my product? Or, or Sainsbury's to hand out my directories at the tills. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, Tesco's will never, never do it. Sainsbury's will never do it, will they? Because of my 10-inch frying pan brain. It's too big. Throw, throw the fish back in the so sea. So just on that then, Kevin, because I, I really wanted to let you speak then and get that first part out, because yeah. it was very captivating. You know, I was really listening to it and had listening with a smile on my face, actually, because we had Mike on, who's one of our guest mentors over here, Hi, Mike. Um, uh, just before you came on. And some of the things that he was saying, you literally immediately came on and just echoed straight away. Yeah, yeah about the subconscious mindset, about the flea jumping analogy, about you can yeah. only jump so high, you know, and then you're talking about... Um, uh, personal development and you're religiously visioning and goal setting and everything else and you know I really want everyone I wanted everyone in the room to really um, get on board with the piece around mindset because we can jump always straight into practicality what methods do you use to invest where do you put your money how do you build wealth but unless you get 
that bit right that Kevin's just spoken about. It's a um, training ground. Um, you know, you're never ever going to be yeah. able to achieve that level of wealth because you can't fix what's going on out here until you change what's going on in here. You know, and it just reminds me with all of the things that you said um, that you know uh, we are on the right track 100% with um, the guidance and advice that we're giving to everybody because remember what I said when everybody joined the Millionaire Mastermind was success leaves clues. So when you're getting the repeated message from all of the mentors that I am bringing to you, you know that it's time to wake up and actually start to listen to everything they're telling you to do. Yeah, yeah. really, really important. If I didn't listen to Bob Harrison, mm -hmm. I, am, I am absolutely certain I'd still be bouncing along the bottom of life. Yeah. It's that, it's that mindset, mindset that changes that you, like you said, you, you start to believe that you become, you, you start to believe that you become worthy, you know, your, and that's really important. Your actions and your behaviours flow from your expectations, but you will never achieve one of your expectations if your core belief system is saying to you, I can't do that. You've got to get your core belief system to a point where, you, where you're thinking, I can do that. I'll give you a very, very basic um, illustration of that. Who's planning on going on a holiday next year? Guess what? You, your partner, your family, you'll be on the internet, you'll be planning it, you'll be researching where you want to go. Is it hot weather or is it cold weather? What's the budget? You know, do I need a visa? and you'll be sorting it all out. Why? Because you're expecting it to happen. Now, where I come from, which is near Chichester, we've got a famous astronaut called Tim Peake. Um, is there anyone here expecting to go into space next year? <laughs> no? Not next year, but no? I am planning on it. <laughs> That means none of you will be on the internet looking at space travel. You won't be doing it. Why? Because you're not expecting it to happen. Now, an expectation, I think, uh, is probably the most powerful thing you could ever have. If you want to change the direction of your life, all you have to do is change your expectation. Because you're all expecting to go home at the end of this day, so you'll all be walking through that door, you'll be walking off the, off the yacht, and you'll all be going to a train or, or to a... Uh, why? It's because you're expecting it. So what... You, you, I've spoken many, many times uh, to my team when I had Checker Trade, and I learned this so powerfully. We were growing at a phenomenal rate. And every time I had a new member of staff, and when I sold, we had 320, um, I would spend an hour and a half with every single member of my team as they joined. They'd go through a two-week induction, and then they'd have an hour and a half with Kev, Kev. And I would go through them, my life history. I'd go through them, where Checker Trade had come from and where it was going. Uh, and I'm saying to these people, this time next year we'll have grown by 60%. And who knows, you could be a team leader this time next year. Within two years, you, you, you know, this company will be twice the size of what it is now, and you could be leading a department. And they, and they believed me. Because it was true. The expectation 
within me was vast. There was no doubt, no doubt, that checker trade was going to change this country. There was no doubt that checker trade, with, with uh, the stance of being the first in the UK to bring online reviews, wasn't going to just change the building industry, it was going to change the whole of the UK to one, there was no doubt. And after people had spent an hour and a half with me, they went away buzzing because they knew that they knew and they expected that, wow, I'm part of something that's phenomenal, that's growing at a huge rate. Yeah, I, I, I can remember in 2008, uh, which is probably at the time when I just started to change my mindset, we were having, we were having golf days uh, for charity and tradesmen would be turning up and they're going, recession? What recession? I'm a member of Checker Trade. The, the expectation within the whole culture of the company was phenomenal. And when you can get yourself to that point of level of expectation, the next thing you have to do is you have to get it into your top team. And once it's in your top team, it will start to permeate throughout your whole, your whole company. And it is, it is just so, so powerful. I can't, I, 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 I can't give it the words, really. It was a phenomenal ride, a phenomenal journey. It was. No one had any doubt. And even now, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, well, OK, should I go back into the industry? And I've done some focus groups. You know, my, my exclusivity period is long gone and, and my, my life is my own, my time is my own, I can do what I want to do. And I'm seriously considering it. But is there any doubt in me that I can build a national brand again? Absolutely not. <coughs> Zero doubt. Zero doubt. I'm just trying to think, what industry should it be in? What industry? Should it be this one? Should I, should I go back and do what I did before? I'm really tempted to. But uh, I, I, I could build a national brand in any industry. I just know. So, it. Kevin, can we talk yeah. about some of the mechanics um, of Checker Trade and how you built it? So, was it over a, a 10 year period, 15 year period, 20 year period? Um, I was at the helm for 19 years. 19 years. The real growth was probably about 10 years of okay. that, the last 10 years. And, where, uh, so, and so, um, you know, you, you kind of had some growth for the first 10 years. What was the pivotal point after a decade that started to grow? Was it a big cash injection? Was it, you know, you'd got a big story? Was it finally the brand had hit a point where you could scale it? Where, where did that turning point come sure. to get the rapid growth? I, I grew up in the military uh, as a child in the military. Mm -hmm. I had no idea I could go and raise money. No, zero acumen business-wise. And I'm really, really pleased about that. Today, I'm a serial investor, and people are always after money to, to get to the next stage. I, I, I had no concept of that. So, and I'm, and I'm very, very uh, grateful for that, because when I come to sell my company, I own it all, well, nearly all of it. My brother owned a little bit. Um, so there was never any cash injection. It was always from cash flow, mm -hmm. always cash flow. Um, and for the first seven years, I don't think I took any money out of the company at all. You know, when little Kev Tain came to me, I was at that point. You've been working on this for how long? You haven't made any money from it? So zero, zero cash injection. There, there was no one uh, pivotal thing 
that, that changed us from, from going like this to like this. It, it really was a gradual curve where that curve just got steeper and steeper and steeper. Certainly, um, TV had a big impact. Uh, my local TV region was Meridian. And uh, I'm now at a point where I'm saying, well, if I'm going to be national, the first thing I've got to be is regional. What's the best thing for region? I should be on the TV. How can I get on the TV? I've got no money. Um, so this is what we did, which was bizarre. Uh, we phoned up all of our members and asked them for a donation. <laughs> can you imagine that? Imagine phoning your customers and asking them for a donation. Uh, but that's what Expect we did. Expect a call tomorrow, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we did. And the vast majority said yes, because they believed in me and they trusted me. And I said, look, if you, give, if you all give me you know, a couple of hundred quid, I'll make sure it goes on, on TV. And they did. <laughs> she gave me a nice. couple of hundred quid. Hundreds and hundreds of trades. Absolutely unbelievable. Um, so question on that then. So for the first, so um, you, you built it on cash flow and it took you 20 years to get it to the point where you exited for a huge sum. Yeah. Um, and something that's always on my mind is, you know, do I trade equity for cash to use the cash to grow faster? Um, if you would have had your time again, would you have um, raised finance and tried to speed up the journey so you could have done what you did in 10 uh, and 20 in 10? No, no, I wouldn't. I really enjoyed. I, I, I really enjoyed that uh, that journey. Um, had a few sleepless nights in 20 years, but not many. Um, having within within that industry, there's really two ways you can try and make money. You can either do a subscription base, and that for me was absolutely the best thing that I I could have done. You know. You, you'll all know, I think when I sold, I had 29,000 trades, all giving me something like 90 quid a month. Uh, I didn't have one particular company that was giving me 20% of my income. It was, it was spread massively. So cash, cash flow for me was always very positive. Um, always very positive. So having a subscription-based company, for me, I... I really wouldn't do another company unless it was based on that principle. It's a snowball. If you've got a subscription-based company, all you've got to make sure you do is look after your customers, make sure they are happy, make sure their phones are ringing, and they'll never leave. You know, I had a 92% retention rate of all of our members. Uh, so you say, well, what happened to the 8% 8 Kev? Well, you'd have people retire, you'd have people get injured, and we would kick trades off. I think there was about 2% of all of our trades left saying it didn't work. And that was invariably because they didn't give the feedback cards out. That's the why it didn't work for them, or, or uh, they just weren't very good at business. Um, so when you've got that level of retention, it's a snowball business. I've only got to sign up another 8% each month, which I can usually do in the first month to two months. And then from that point on, the business is just getting bigger. It's a snowball. It's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And the cash flow is always really, really positive. Um, so, and that's, that's what really put the value of the company so high. Because you know, a buyer will come along and go, Okay, what's, what's your retention rate? 92%, wow. Okay, and so where's your projection on your growth? 
it's a snowball. Wow. So in, in three or four years' time, it, 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 it could be twice the size again. Absolutely. And that's, that's, that's what makes things really, really expen uh, valuable. If you do have a business which isn't subscription-based, I'd be thinking, how can I make it subscription-based? For example, I've, I've got uh, a, a couple of gymnasiums. One of them has got beauty clinics in it. And I'm looking at this right now. So we're looking at all the cash flow for the, this beauty clinic. We've got four treatment rooms and, and, and three therapists. And, and it's pretty much, if you don't get a booking, or if someone's ill, that's it. You haven't got an income. And I'm thinking, well, why hasn't the beauty industry got some kind of subscription base to it? I mean, maybe you, you ladies will come up and give me your opinion afterwards. But if I was to say to you ladies, look, we'll, we'll do, we'll, we'll do a, a pearl, diamond, and, and whatever level, uh, and it's a monthly subscription, and if you don't use it, you can gift it to your mum or your daughter or to a friend or whatever, would you take that level of subscription? And it gives you priority, and it gives you this, and it gives you products with 25% off, and all that. I think, I think that's a goer. Yet there isn't a single beauty treatment out, uh, clinic out there that I can find that has got any form of subscription base. But if, 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 but if I can build that, how much more valuable is that going to be worth to me if someone comes along and wants to buy it when they can see you've got all these people paying monthly? Makes sense, doesn't it? Maybe that's the future of beauty. I don't know. Yeah, and I, and I was really excited for you to come today to talk about that recurring revenue model because I think it's, um, you know, so has anybody in the room got a recurring revenue model or is it all new business? So some, got, some guys have. So, so um, only a very small percentage of the room, you know, and again, I run the Trade Mastermind not on a subscription basis and it's been something me and Chris have been thinking about um, for some time now because as we scale the company and the overheads get bigger, you've still yeah. got to find that new sales every single month to cover your costs and make your profit. So the challenge yeah. gets harder and harder <clears> and harder. And if you have, you know, one or two bad months, that's the that's the challenge. And it's definitely pain I felt with my previous business. Um, so it's, it's very, very interesting. And I think everybody in the room should be looking at a way to, um, you know, encapsulate what Kevin said and, and put it into your business models. Because if you can get acquire the customer once and get them to keep paying, um, you know, you haven't got to keep building those sales every single month. Um, for sure. So you got it to a point where it was national and um, in the second decade, things were going really, really well. Um, at what point did you then decide, right, it's now my time to exit? Was it because you were approached and you saw a figure and you said, right, that's exciting to me? Or did you always have or your exit or towards the end, did you have your exit and said, right, that's when I'm getting out, I'm done, I'm going to find a buyer? Yeah, uh, some of this is quite personal, but I'm, I'm fairly open. Uh, I had two business partners, my brother Tony, um, he had 20% of the business and another business partner called Richard, he had 20% of the company. And both of them uh, were nine and ten years older than me. And probably about five years before I sold, I was approached by which? The consumer champions. And they said to me, look, we've got a product called Witch Local and we just can't get consumers to, to do reviews and yet you're 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 getting hundreds of thousands of reviews constantly can we come and talk to you so I said yeah come and see me so which came and came to see me and af after the first uh, meeting they actually said to us look we'd really like to partner with you 
And that was like, wow, which want to partner with me? Okay, that seems a bit bizarre, very flattered. Um, and then right at the end, uh, the lady said to me, if we're going to partner with you, is there any chance we could maybe invest by 5%, 10% of the company so that we've got an interest? I said, look, I'm not interested in selling any of my 60%. I never, I never went into business to sell this. I, I went into Checker Trade to make a difference. Uh, and that's genuine. Uh, but I've got two partners that are a lot older than me. And each year they're saying to me, Kev, how can we get out? Because we want to retire. So I thought, oh, well, here's an opportunity for my two business. And um, the 5% the went to 10%, and the 10% went to 20 and the 20% went to 40 And I said, well, look, now my two business partners are cock-a-hoot. You know, they were valuing the company at 10 million at that point, and, and both of my, my, my partners were going to walk away with a couple of million each, and they were really, really happy with that. Um, and then they said, Kev, we want, we want 51%. I said, no. No, <laughs> I've said to you from day one, I want my 60%. If, you got, if you're a 40%, that's fine. Um, and then they said, yeah, but Kev, if we own 51%, then we can, we, we can put a lot of money into this, and your ambition is to solve the road trade problem across the UK. How much quicker do you think you could do that? And we'll, we'll put a phenomenal package together over the next three to five years, whatever you want it to be, where we'll come in and we'll step in and, and we'll buy the rest off you. So they put this in front of me and I said, and they convinced me. I said, OK, yeah, let's do this. Um, and, they, and we shook hands. Peter Vickery Smith, the, the CEO was, shook hands with him. And then uh, they said, right, now we've shaken hands, Kev. We're going to send a team in to start looking at this while all the legals are being done. And um, anyway, to cut a long story short, the legals never arrived. Um, and uh, another verbal conversation said, look, we, we, can't, we can't give you what we said we were going to give you. We can only do this, this and this. I said, well, I turned that down three months ago. And they said, OK, thanks, Kev. Bye. And they'd sent in every single department into Checker Trade you can think of. And I was played, I was used. And literally a week after uh, we parted, they started Which Trusted Trades. And I'm sure some of you will know that brand. And I phoned up Peter Vickery Smith and I said, your forefathers must be turning in their graves after what you've done to me. I said, you've just played me. And this is what he said to me. He says, if you utter one word of what's happened, I will bury you with barristers. So I tell everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and that is which. That's which. But what it did, what it did to answer your question, I've now got, particularly my brother, and sadly we fell out over it, um, he, he, he said, well, wasn't, wasn't six million enough for you, Kev? I said, Tony, it was never about the money. He says, I've lost two million pound because of you and you being greedy. I said, I'm not greedy. I'm just not, I'm just not going to sell my business to these charlatans. So my brother and I fell out over it, but that put pressure on me to find another buyer. And I, I turned down uh, Terry Leahy, is that his name from Tesco? The guy that built Tesco, he put some money on the table, I turned him down. Um, I turned down um, 
Alec Chesterman, Zupla. Um, he, he was very indignant when I said no to him. Um, who else did I turn down? I turned down two or three PE houses. Every time I turned someone down, a bigger amount was put on the table. It was just bizarre. It went from 10 million to 15 to 30 to 40. And then I had a company approach me called IAC, huge company in America. Uh, lots and lots of brands like Tinder, um, Ask Jeeves, I know that one's not very prominent now, but massive company worth something like 13 billion. They approached me uh, and they seemed really, really good. And um, I said to them, okay, we'll do a deal. Uh, they put 50 million on the table and uh, I was going to retain a small percentage uh, and then there was an earn out, et cetera, et cetera. But I said right from day one, you've got to put something in writing that's going to protect my team. And, I'll, and you've got to stay in Celsi because that's where they all live. Yes, Kev, we can do that. Nine months of due diligence. It nearly killed my top team. It was huge. The pressure was immense. And when you're selling a company, you've got all these boxes to tick. Tick, 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 tick. And at the end of the nine months, there was one box to tick. Stay in Celsi, look after my team. Well, that's pretty simple, isn't it? And they said to me, Kev, we can't do it. So what do you mean you can't do it? That was a condition at the beginning. Kev, we can't do it. We, we can't. It, it's, a, it, it's publicly owned. We can't make a commitment on that scale. So I said, bye-bye. And I, I can remember, um, uh, I've forgotten his name now. The CEO phoned me from, from America. Kev, we're paying, you, we're paying you a lot of money. I said, I know, but you, you won't look after my team. Yeah, but we're paying you a lot of money. I said, well, it's not all about money, is it? I said, my, you know, I've, 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 these, these are my friends. These are people that have worked for me for, for, you know, 15 years, 16 years. I can't just turn my back on them. Uh, and I know they sacked several people, but to turn down 50 million is not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to do. Credit um, to you on that, Kev. Let's give him a round of applause for that. That's real big. That's tough. Just, on, um, just before you tell us about the actual exit, you know, I just want to say what a fantastic lesson for all of us to be able to um, take, which is you know, if you're starting to bring people into your business that are digging around and looking around and really understanding their agenda, because if it's the first time it happens, you, know, you can really see that shiny object of that's the money that I'm going to get out. And you know, you're yeah. naive in a sense that you know, if it's the first time you've had somebody come in to buy, you're probably going to let them go and do everything. But I think if that ever happens to us, us, as we build our businesses and go to sell just on that story alone everybody's going to be a lot more guarded yeah, 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 yeah. and make sure they're protected that um, you know they're not going to make that same mistake so thank you very much for that lesson it's a really powerful it's, one it, i'll tell you what if you're selling your business just say no to the first person that's going to buy it you know I, I've, I've been there now for the last five years i've been investing in startups and and SMEs, and one of them is called mtech uh, and they, they developed some really, really unique piece of software to, to gauge facial expressions for, as if you, I won't go into it, but really, really neat, neat company. I put 800K into it, and about eight or nine months ago, the CEO phones all the shareholders, really, really excited because we've got a buyer. And I'm going, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. 
uh, and they were going to sell it for something like 45 million and they're all really exciting and there's a special uh, you know shareholder zoom meeting and everyone's congratulating everybody and then and I'm the last to talk and I'm going I'm really sorry guys <laughs> but the chances are this is going to fall through and what you'll do now is that you'll take your eye off the ball that's what you will do and, and you'll be focusing solely on due diligence and sorting this deal out and it will fail. And then you'll look back and you'll go, I've just wasted six months. And everyone's silent and I say, I'm sorry if, if that's coming across really negative, but my advice is don't take your eye off the ball. Keep the pressure on building and working on your company. Anyway. Two months went by and the, and the buyer pulled out. Kev, you were right. Yeah. And it's just, it's just the way it is. Yeah. You don't take your eye off the ball. You can get, you can get sucked, I did, with, with, uh, with, uh, with which. You get all excited and, and, and now to think, wow, if I'd have sold my business for 10 million, it's a lot of money. <laughs> It's not, it's not compared to, uh, yeah, 80. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. All right, good stuff. So, um, HomeServe, they came into the picture. Yeah. And that was after the Americans that did the nine oh. months? Was they, were they next? I, I, can't, I can't tell you how frazzled we were after IAC. And, and um, Ru Rupert Rawcliffe is the guy that helped, helped me uh, sell the company. I said to him, Rupert, that's it. I'm really sorry, Rupert, but I'm not going to sell now. Um, and he said, fine, Kev, I absolutely understand. And then I get a call from Richard Harkin. Uh, and this was during the exclusivity period with IAC. Richard Harpin founded HomeServe, uh, and he flew down in his helicopter to see me, and I thought, oh, there's another guy that wants my database. Uh, and he said, well, actually, Kev, I don't want your database. I want to buy your company. And I said, look, whoa, I'm in, I'm in exclusivity period with this company IAC. My exclusivity period ends at the end of September. If you want to talk to me at that point, I'll talk to you, but I can't see that this, this deal's not going to happen. And he was good. He, he, he said fine, and he honoured that. He didn't press me at all. But the end of September, he is on the phone. Your exclusivity period's finished, Kev, isn't it? I said, yes, it has. He says, have you done a deal? He said, no. I said, I've pulled out. Uh, he said, oh, can I come and see? I said, Richard, no. I've, I've, I'm, my team's just frazzled, I'm absolutely frazzled. And he didn't push me. He said, okay, Kev, you know, if you change your mind, you know where we are. Um, anyway, I spoke to Rupert and he said, Kev, why don't, why don't you just think of the top five things? Bang, 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 bang. And just say, look, I want this much money. I want to stay in Celsius. All the various things that are really, really important to you. And if you get a no to any of them, then just don't do it. And one of them was, I want a deal in four weeks. That was, that was one of the five. I want a deal in four weeks. Because I had the data room. It was, all, it was all there. And so Rupert went to him and put, put that to him. And he came back and said, yes, 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 yes. But the fifth one was no. But the fifth one was, I want you to put a retainer of 250,000 into our account. And if you pull out, that 250 is mine. That was the, that was the, the fifth one. And he said, I just can't get that through the board. There's just no way that, that that's just not something that any board's going to agree to. So I said, OK. So, I re so on that fifth one, I was OK with. And within a month, I'd sold the company. 
for a whopping uh, 18, well, 18 no, mil. The, the original valuation, I can't remember now, was something like 65, but they bought 40% of the company. Yeah. And I, was, I, I, t I tied myself in for three years, but they had the option of buying another 35%, which left me with 25% option. Um, but uh, to, to, to cut a long story short, uh, once they, they got the 40%, the uh, they had an opinion that they owned the whole thing. And it became untenable to, to stay in that situation. Um, and it became very, very obvious that they wanted to take it into a different direction. But in three years' time, they had the choice of being a majority shareholder. That wasn't my decision. It was their decision whether they bought the extra shares or not. So they're saying to me, um, do you want us to put a deal on the table, Kev? And I'm going, no, leave me alone. <laughs> I own 60%. In three years, I will give you a company which is profitable and doing very, very well. Leave me alone. And they just wouldn't. And in the end, the stress levels were unbelievable. My team were coming to me saying, Kev, I'm being told to go in this direction by these people, and you're telling me to go in this direction, but in two and a half, three years' time, these guys are going to be my boss. What do I do? Oh, man, it, it, it became very, very... Anyway, uh, so at that point, um, they're saying, do you want us to put a deal on the table? No, go away. Do you want us to put a deal on the table? No, go away. <laughs> and in the end, they put a deal on the table, and it was less than what I would have got if I'd have worked for three years and hit targets. So Rupert got involved, and he got the valuation up to over 90. Wow. And I decided at that point through uh, really, really good advice. Don't keep any of it, Kev. Because if they're taking it in a direction that you wouldn't have gone in yourself, you know, at the moment, every percentage is worth a lot of money. And, and if the company goes the wrong direction and doesn't do well, you could find that that valuation diminishes dramatically. So I made the decision to sell the whole amount, which I'm really, really pleased I did. Let's give him a big, big round of applause. Amazing. Fantastic. What a story. Thank yeah. You. Amazing, amazing. Very, very inspirational story. Very inspirational journey. And, you know, you got out of a big number. So incredibly well done. Changed the face of the industry. Created the first ever online review platform. Um, so some really amazing things. So, um, okay. So now you've, now you've exited. You've got all of this cash. What do you do next? Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. If I could add something to that. Yep. It's really important that as you're growing your business that you identify which of these two camps you sit in. Are you building your business to make money and sell it? And if you are, that is fantastic. Every single company that I've invested in since, it's because I want a return on my investment. There's nothing wrong in building a company to sell and make money. Or is this a lifestyle for you? Is it your baby that you're building? A wise man said to me many, many years ago, Kev, why do you want to sell Checker Trade? Is it making money? Yeah. Are you enjoying it? Yeah. Is it growing? Yeah. Why do you want to sell it? Uh, okay. And that's really important that, that you get to an understanding within your own heart why you're doing this. Um, 
Kevin, I I'm so just going to leave you with this stage just for sure. two seconds. I, um, I never started Checker Trade to make money. That was never part of the reason. I wanted a nice lifestyle like most people do, and you want to have success and some kind of no notoriety. But I never did it to make money. And now I'm finding that there's pressure on me from my two business partners to sell because they're really pissed off with me that they didn't get their two million. Um, so I almost got caught up in it, in, the, in a sale. Literally a week after I sold the company, I, uh, I went back to home service saying, can I buy it back? So the question is, what do you do at that point? For me, if I was building Checker Trade to make money, Man, I'd have been happy as Larry. I'd, I'd, I'd have been the happiest person in West Sussex, jumping up and down, you know, having a lifestyle which only, only a very, very small uh, number of people could ever dream of having. Um, but I never did it for that reason. And I personally went through an incredibly dark tunnel, incredibly dark tunnel. I sold it for the wrong reason, even though there's all that money there. Today, I still drive the same car I was driving five years ago. Um, still in the same house, although I am building uh, a country mansion for myself. I've always wanted to build my own, my own country mansion. So my lifestyle has changed, uh, but I don't live the millionaire type of lifestyle that people would expect. Um, so going through a dark tunnel uh, it was very, very hard for me probably two years of almost committing suicide because I'd sold my baby. Two years of, at certain points in the year, like New Year's Eve or Christmas, uh, wandering the streets at half past three in the morning thinking the only thing, the only reason why I'm not taking my life is because of my daughters. You can go through a really, really dark tunnel if you are selling something for the wrong reason for the wrong reason. I'm through that now, I'm pleased to say, um, and I am in, enjoying my life tremendously. But I've, I've learned huge amounts now when it comes to the realm of investing. Um, I've always believed that you should really spread whatever you've got. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. And I've absolutely uh, uh, not done that. I have a property portfolio. We've probably got somewhere in the region of 25 to 30 properties. Um, some of those are one bedroom flats, two bedroom flats, all the way through to nine bed HMOs. Um, and that brings in, uh, you know, the one bedroom flats might bring in seven or eight percent a year. The HMOs might bring in 13 to 15 percent a year. And that would probably equate to about 10% of my wealth, I suppose. Um, I've invested in art. Um, I've always been a keen lover of uh, old masters and pop art. Uh, so I, I've always wanted an original Lowry, an original Constable, an original Turner, uh, and original Banksy's. Those are my, my favorite four artists of all time. And I'm pleased to say I've got lots of each of those individuals. Um, and certainly investing in Banksy has been the best investment I have ever done, for sure. 
You don't have to deal with tenants. You don't have to deal with leaking roofs and repairs. You basically get a piece of art, insure it well, and enjoy it. And a Banksy will go up 20% a quarter. Absolutely incredible. The first Banksy I bought was the girl with the pink balloon. We'll all know the girl with the red balloon that was shredded. I bought the, the girl with the pink balloon. I think it cost me 245000 and about a year ago, it was valued at 1.1 million. And I've owned, owned it at that point about two and a half years. Just absolutely incredible. Um, and, but within that, with whether you're getting into cryptocurrencies or Forex trading or offshore bonds or stocks and shares, there's one thing that I've learned painfully, and that is get the top advice you can possibly get. Um, and, I've, and I've learned that now. Um, whoever I deal with, I want to make sure that they've been in within that industry a long time, that they are incredibly well respected within that industry, and they, and they know really, really well what they are doing. Um, and that's, that's my stance now with every investment. Yeah, I, I get pitched to, you know, I've probably invested in about 11 different startups or SMEs. Um, and I'm very much led by my heart, which is bad. <laughs> it's really bad. Um, so I'm, I'm still very fortunate that my MD at Checker Trade, Gavin Dutton, he still works for me. Uh, I only employ him one day a week, and that is to do sense checks on various things. So regardless of what it is, if I, get, if I get approached by saying, Kev, I've got this company, it's a startup, it's this, that, and the other, and I'll look at it, if my heart is saying, this sounds really good, the first thing I'll then do is say, well, send me, send me, send me all the, the deck, and I'll have a look at it, and Gavin. So Gavin comes in, and we sit down, and he'll go away, and he'll study all the figures, and he's a very logical type of person when I'm very heart, heartfelt. And he'll come back and he'll go, oh, Kev, you know, I can see a flaw here. Then I'll go, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, but, but, yeah. And, and anyway, if he comes back and he goes, yeah, Kev, I think this is worth delving a bit, bit more, I'll then bring my tax advisor and my accountant into the, into the fray and we'll sit down and we'll look at it on that basis. Um, and then if he's going, yeah, Kev, yeah, I can see this fits in with your portfolio. And what I tend to do now is I'll look at my portfolio of companies that I've invested in. And, and if you were to come to me, I'd be thinking, well, can this, can what I've got here benefit this? Mm -hmm. and, and can this benefit these as well? So I look at it in a much, much holistic viewpoint with getting, you know, really top advice. Um, and if you just go by your gut feeling, if you just go by, by your intuition or instinct, of course that's very in, in, important, but I've, I've, uh, I've been burned quite a few times by just going on that route. So if, if you are, if you do get to a point where you can start investing in other things, my number one advice is make sure the advice that you're getting within that industry is the top advice that you can afford, for sure. 
Fantastic. Amazing. Okay, great. So we've got about 10 or 15 minutes left. Um, so what we'll do is open it up to a Q&A now. Um, so you guys can ask Kevin all of your questions. So who's got a question for me? Let's go with Paul at the back. Your hand was up first. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for that. It was uh, really inspirational to hear. Um, my question was, how did you keep your team at Checker Trade motivated but when they were going through several sales, um, you know, requirement processes? Uh, right. Um, I, I've already mentioned I, I, get, I gave an hour and a half with each member of my team. This is what I said to every single person. Um, you're giving me a slice of your life when you come and work for me. Thank you. That's what I'd say to them. Uh, and you're building my dream. Um, you're probably treading water working for me. You, you've, you've probably got issues, 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 debts, bills, families. But right now, you're giving me a slice of your life. Uh, and I'm really grateful for that. There may come a time where I'm going to sell this company. If I sell this company, I will share the profits with you, depending on how long you've worked for me. And if you ever get to a point in your life, Paul, where you want to build your own dream, come and talk to me and I'll help you. Um, when I sold the company, I shared, I think it was five, five million with all my team. So they were pretty motivated. A lot of them, it was a big enough deposit for a house. So they were all pretty motivated. They knew that, that Kev was going to share. Fantastic. Fantastic. Great question. Great answer. Amazing. Okay, let's run it down the front, please, to Joe. Hi, Joe. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> thank you for being really honest with us as well throughout um, the interview and the talk there because um, nobody really thinks too much about getting the money as the end goal, but obviously for you it was quite a quite a dark place after that because you didn't really know your journey, so I appreciate your honesty with that. But um, my question is based on um, subscriptions, really. So we're a plumbing and heating company. Um, we're focusing quite a lot on boiler installations, but um, this year we have pushed and put some packages together for um, boiler service and maintenance. So mm -hmm. we've got it in a good position, but we are struggling to to get people on board with it, really. So um, it's only really from the start of this year. But how do you see it within our industry and a similar system with, with what you had? How did you scale it from the early stages to sort of get people out there? I mean, I know that we've got a lot of things in place that we're trying to do to get us out there, but just be interested on your take in, within the industry. Yeah, as, as I said, the, the, there really wasn't any one particular thing apart from going on the TV that, that saw our subscriptions really start to grow. Uh, if, I, if I were you, what would I do? I'm, I'm being rem reminded of my, my sister. My sister had a health and safety company and I said to her you've got to sell the fear you know if you've got your if you've if you've got a business and someone that works for you has an accident you as the MD of that company or owner of that company is responsible and do you have everything in place so my advice to her was you've got to almost sell the fear to all the companies that you're doing your health and safety for because it, and it's serious stuff uh, if something happens to, to someone that you employ um, do you, 
do you have do you have the scope within your company that when someone has a big bill to be able to absorb that for them to some degree and, and say, well, look, we can now we can now start you on this, and if you pay 60% of this bill, we can spread the rest of it over the next 12 months and add a little bit on, which gives the subscription. Have you got the scope to do something like that? Uh, so we don't currently, but I feel that there is um, huge potential for us to be able to have up to a thousand people on a, a payment plan with us. Um, in which case would then enable us to get the, the structure in place to as it grows really um, but there would be no reason why we couldn't do it regionally in our, in our area I, I I would have thought that is probably the way forward if your company is in a position where it can afford to let's suppose someone has a disaster and it costs them 1400 quid and it's cost you personally in your expenses in the business say 800 quid to to do that um, you know, if, if someone had said to me at that point, have you got, it's 1,400 quick, oh, flipping it, how the heck am I going to afford that? Well, look, this is what we can do for you, Kev. You know, if you can get to the 800, I'll take that, the rest of the 600 and I'll spread it over 12 months for you. There'll be a little bit more on top because if anything else goes wrong in the future, you know, you've got that level of security for that servicing, et cetera, et cetera, and other aspects of what's going on in your property. I'd be going, thank you. I'll do it. That's probably where I would probably aim at trying to get people. Yeah, we do. We, to be fair, we have finance company in place with a, um, a cost to us. Um, so it is certainly something we can look at. And I think from the position that we're in, we have, um, it, it's more than scalable for sure. I mean, it just makes perfect sense for yeah. um, to be able to have a saleable company when you've got as an example, five, six hundred people on a service plan. Sure. It's, it's I th unbelievable. I th people buy from people, don't they? And I think the average uh, plumbing and heating company out there, they might, they might have some kind of reminder with their customers each year because their boiler is, is due a service. So I certainly that's all I get off the guy that's, that does my servicing for my boiler. But if I had something off him in a much more... Um, what, uh, regular way about this is what you should be thinking about we can do this for you Kev we can do that for you Kev um, what I used to do I don't know whether there's any checker trade members out here that, that's going back 10-15 years but I personally used to do I used to get I used to get my phone and I'll, I'll do a video to my members <laughs> literally that was it hi guys it's Kev here bang 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 and I'd send it to them you know, trades weren't, <coughs> trades weren't bothered about having, having it marble and gold gilted videos and stuff like that. They just wanted to hear it as it was. And I think most of us are like the rest of us. That's all we want. And, you know, if, 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 my, if, if my gas engineer sent, sent me something on a video, do you know, I'd flip him watch it. I'd think, oh, you sent me a video. That's nice. Oh, OK, so I could spread this, could I? Oh, OK, that's interesting. Yeah, definitely. Thank you very much for your advice. Excellent. Nice question. Nice answer. Fantastic. Let's get a question from this side of the room. Did I hear somebody over there? Who's got a question? Excellent. Back to this side of the room. <laughs> Go for it, champ. Well done. Hi, Kev. Um, really great story, mate. And I can see you're just, you know, 
salt of the earth, full of heart, and that's really uh, endearing. Um, now, I help run a construction firm uh, down in Dorset, but also I'm an author. Uh, I've written 20 books, and sales are terrible. <laughs> um, what, your book sales? Book sales are terrible. Okay. Um, but also, so is the marketing. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, um, admittedly. Um, now, you just answered that question extremely well, and I can see you're a man full of ideas. Um, any ideas on how to increase Sell book books. sales? So, yeah, sure, you know, dear, it's yeah. a really <laughs> tough one. But if you can answer that, I'll be very pleased. Climb, a very, climb a very tall mountain. <laughs> and then people will want to hear what you've got to say for some reason. Wow. So do, do some crazy shit, is what you're saying. <laughs> do some crazy shit, yeah. Swim with sharks, get rescued off mountains. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. That's not my industry. Um, <laughs> I'm about five thousand. No, yeah, you stumped me on that one, but I will think about it now. Cheers, Kev. Thank because you. everyone's saying to me, Kev, you should write a book, and then I'm going to face that. It issue sounds like you should. Yes. Yeah. I mean, if I could answer that, um, it's it's about it's about getting exposure. Yeah. You know, I did it off the back of a TV show, so I had a bit of a platform behind me to be able to do it. But also at the same time, I didn't write my book until two years after The Apprentice. So I had to create something to build momentum. So I um, did a uh, watch uh, The Apprentice with a winner live show once a week when the series came out two years later. Then I invited all The Apprentice guests back to my apartment once a week and interviewed them while watching the show. And I just streamed it live on Facebook, live on Insta. You know, and I was picking up a few hundred views every single week. And then I gave away a chapter, or I'd read a bit of a chapter, they downloaded the first chapter. I built a huge mailing list of all of these people that had downloaded the first chapter. And then I kept announcing that I was going to launch the book in a few months, and there was going to be all of these special giveaways. Yeah. And um, so I built up all of this attention. Then two months later, I launched the book, gave away two tickets to a free event, um, some cash, an iPad, and a few other bits. Um, and um, uh, we sold a few thousand books, like literally overnight. And that was just self-published from Amazon. So it really is just about building an audience. You just need to get attention. So um, you know there are some really good models out there. That model I copied off a fellow called Rob Moore. He's actually coming to um, November's um, November's uh, uh, Millionaire Mastermind. He's wrote twenty-something books, you know, and launched hundreds of them. And he does it as a big PR stunt to pull loads of people into his event. But he's fantastic at it. So he's got this launch model um, that he uses to be able to do that. So um, I would. Um, look for that. I think I've got the launch model on a blueprint that I'll be able to share with you. So if you remind me after this event, just send me a message. I'll get it for you. But it literally is just about getting attention, yeah. building a list. Do you have your own podcast? Uh, no, no podcast. What, um, what, book, what books are they? What type of books? Well, they are children's books. Yeah. Uh, also written uh, fantasy and uh, thriller. But um, Amazing. So they're... they're you know, diff different I've genres. got a 13-month-old, and he keeps watching this girl on, uh, this lady on YouTube, should I say. And um, she, for me, she's really annoying, but she sings loads of kids' songs. And, you know, he watches it all the time. She's having hundreds of millions of views on YouTube. Hundreds of millions. Mm. On average, it's about £1,000 per million views. This woman's just on her dungarees, singing wheels um, on the bus go round and bloody <laughs> round. Right? And she's probably <clears throat> made, just off that 200 million views, you know, hundreds of thousands if not millions in sponsorship so hit youtube 
get a podcast. You know, that's the first place to get attention. Podcasts are booming. So get a podcast, build a loyal following, um, you know, read them some chapters live on the podcast, get it on YouTube, get attention, and then people will buy. Great. Thank you very much. Excellent. Mm. Fantastic. Okay, great. Mustafa. Great question, by the way. Hello, Kev. Mustafa. You're on. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. Thank you for the um, for the story that you shared with us. It was very very honest, actually, especially the part that you said that you walked uh, in the middle of the morning, three o'clock in the morning. Um, so on the back of that, would you say if you want to start again the same kind of business that you did, would it be different this time? Would it be more commercial, more international, for example, projects that are done internationally? Um, I know, I know what I know. Uh, I know how to build another checker trade. I, I, I personally feel that online reviews have had its day. I think they're, they're coming to an end. And I think because I started them, I'm probably the most uh, qualified to say they need to stop. Um, personally, what I've looked at is to say to trades, um, have you got a, 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 a few grand in your bank account? Well, yes, Kev, okay, I need you to give this to my solicitor as, as like a bond. And if a job goes wrong, I'd use that money to put the, the work right. Um, and that leads me to be able to say to a consumer, if the job goes wrong, we'll step in and put it right. Um, when you're giving that kind of message to the consumer, why would they go anywhere else? That's, that's really, really good, yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm looking at all the legal implications to that at the moment. Yeah, so watch this space. I haven't made a decision to come back yet. If I do come back, it will be called assuredtrades.com. Thank you. Ultimate peace of mind. Good question, good answer. Well done. Fantastic. Have we got one more question before we stop? Behind you. Fantastic, Martin. Hi, Kev. Thanks for your honest story. It's great to uh, listen to it. Um, it sounds like Trekker Trade was obviously your baby. So when you obviously didn't want to sell, when you cut your partners did, why did you not buy them out at the time? Uh, yeah, that's a very good that's a very good question. Checker Trade never really had more than one to two months wages in the bank account. I was never one to hoard money. Um, you know, even when we did our first uh, TV, uh, not our first TV, but I can remember when we when we were doing uh, Good Morning Britain, the weather. Um, that was something like 1.2 million a year. And, and I'd go to my finance manager, who was my, my niece, Claire. I said, can we afford this, Claire? And she goes, absolutely not. Absolutely not, Kev. There's, there's just no way we can afford that. I said, yeah, but do we have enough to get the first payment done? Yeah, okay, we'll do it. What, Kev? But what happens when we get to month two? I said, oh, don't worry about month two. <laughs> Once we're on the telly, everyone, all, all the trades will be phoning, saying, how, how can we join? That's what happened. But we don't know that, Kev. I said, it will happen, don't worry. And it happened. Um, so trying to find four million to buy my two fellow directors out, um, I did a deal with one of them. Uh, over three years, uh, they, they got X amount a month. Um, and uh, he was a bit disappointed that he took that deal because if he'd have held on to his 20%, he'd have got 20% of uh, an awful lot more. 
but that's, that was his choice. He took it. Uh, my brother walked away with a lot of money, but uh, I, I just did not have the, the cash means in my back pocket just to buy those, those people out. I didn't. Uh, and, and it's, um, you know, you, it, it, it's a bittersweet thing. Today, am I glad I sold it? I'm just in turmoil still. I wish I hadn't, but, you know, my kids wouldn't have the properties they've got. I wouldn't, you know, I've built two hostels in Bangladesh for kids. I fund four schools in Bangladesh for, for kids that have never had an education. You know, this, the stuff that we're doing with the, with the finance and the money is absolutely astronomical. It's, it's, it's changing thousands and thousands of people's lives around the world, which I wouldn't have been able to have done and enjoyed doing if I hadn't have sold. And then there was COVID, you know, would we have got through COVID? Absolutely, of course we would have got through COVID. But um, would we have found that really hard? Probably. Uh, so it's, 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 real, it's a real mixture in me as, as to, was that the right thing to do? Um, That's hindsight, isn't it? It's hindsight. Yeah, in hindsight, if I knew that something like that could have happened, uh, I probably would have gone and try and raise that money to, uh, yeah, probably. Mm. Amazing, fantastic, good question, good answer. Um, so just to finish, um, I thought it'd be nice just to quickly talk a little bit about um, the amazing project that you're building, which is your own house. Oh, yeah. Um, if you tell us a little bit about that. I mean, I've seen the plans and they look fantastic. How, how, how big is it? Well, this, well, this, Where is it? Well, this is the millionaire And can we still do the mastermind yeah. that you said we could do at the house? Yeah. <laughs> uh, when, I, when I first had Witch put some money on the table, that made me think, oh, wow, I can go and buy a phenomenal property. Um, and I found a phenomenal property, um, but then the Witch deal didn't happen. Uh, but that's made me think, you know, I've, I've always been involved in construction to some degree. The checker trade offices I built and I still own. Um, and I've always done extensions to properties and stuff like that and really enjoyed doing it. And my, my dreams always, always, right from a, a, a small child is I want to just build something phenomenal for me. Um, anyway, we found, we found this property in the heart of West Sussex. It's nearly 20 acres. It, uh, the bottom of our garden is probably about half a mile away and then there's a rife at the bottom of my garden and then after that it's the South Downs National Park. So no one's ever going to build on any of the view that I'm seeing. From my back garden you can't see a telegraph pole, you can't see an electrical pylon, you can't see a house, you can't see a road. It's just South Downs. Absolutely phenomenal. Anyway, this, this property had a property on it. Uh, it was built in 1962. It, it was okay. It was Georgian, um, but it, it certainly wasn't what I wanted. And it took me three years of planning. Uh, nearly, if I had some hair, I would have pulled it all out. Uh, on several occasions, I'm saying to my wife, let's just sell it. And, uh, you know, because it was so flipping stressful dealing with Horsham District Council. Anyway, we got the planning. And uh, the first thing I did was I built a lake 
because I love, uh, I, I, I love fishing, I love carp fishing, so I bought myself a digger and a dumper truck and I built the lake myself, uh, which, uh, hey, there's no, if you want to see a happy Kev, put him in a digger, it's just fantastic, it's <laughs> great, great, great um, stress reliever. Um, and I'm building a 22,000 square feet Georgian mansion. It's got the main house, which has got six bedrooms. Uh, it's got, a, it's got a, a cellar, which I'm going to put all my expensive art in. Um, it's got a social room. Uh, and then it's got a, a west wing, which is going to have an indoor pool, indoor cinema, indoor games room, um, indoor gym. Two-bedroom flat. Um, yeah, it's it's it will be the premier property in West Sussex for sure. As, again, getting the right advice before I bought it, I went to Savills and I said, "Look, this is what I intend to put on this property. What should I build? Uh, how should I adjust that uh, to get the best possible price when I come to sell it?" So they gave me the top advice on what to what to put on there. And they said at the time, this will be worth somewhere between 10 to 12 million once it's finished. Uh, and that was three years ago. So at the moment, we're putting the roof on. So it's all getting very uh, exciting now. Um, and really, really looking forward to, uh, to moving in. And as I've, Joseph has already said, you know, uh, we'll, we'll probably have some events there based with Joseph. You want to come and have a look? Bring your, bring your Speedos and your, and your bikini <laughs> and, and if you like snooker or whatever or bowling or anything like that, we'll have, we'll have absolutely everything there. It's just a phenomenal, phenomenal property. Yeah. Amazing. Look, I just want to say thanks so much for your time. Um, uh, has everybody really enjoyed it? Yeah, fantastic. Great story and um, very inspiring and just really pleased that, you know, you've been able to build your dream and you've got a fantastic life now. It's amazing and well-deserved. So, um, yeah, amazing. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks so much. Amazing, amazing stuff.